right, we got sound, all right. It was uh, great to hang out with you guys this afternoon and uh, at lunch and enjoyed some of our conversations that we uh, were able to uh, share with you. And um, I hope you guys feel rusted and not too drained from all the battles that were going on out there. Um, but uh, it was really interesting. Uh, I was watching this, listening to the students uh, lead us. And you guys, your church is very talented. You have a lot of talent. I do confess that during the um, the break, I did take a little bit of a nap. And I came out, and there was a band up here. And they were singing one of my favorite uh, 1960 rock songs. And I thought to myself, you know, do I need to talk to TJ and Jeff about their worship songs? Uh, but then Lisa said, I think there's a talent show tonight. And I said, oh, yeah, that's right. So it sounded really good, really legit. Uh, if you take your Bibles, if you have them, and turn to uh, Genesis 3, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 15. We're going to stay in the garden this afternoon. Uh, this morning we were in the Garden of Eden, and so we're going to stay right there. Uh, now we are in chapter 3. And we're going to pick it up at verse 4. We're looking at the battleground in marriage. Uh, this is applicable. Uh, I believe this talk is applicable to a wide range of relationships, friendships, uh, and also just uh, being about the ministry of the church. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, uh, she took of it, and she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Uh, this ends the reading of God's word. There's a story in the Anchorage News, uh, Daily News, uh, a few years ago about a man and a woman. Uh, the woman's name was Dorothea. She was 85 years old. And the man's name was George. They were married, and he was 82. And they were out, um, you know, kind of exercising their dogs in this sub-zero Alaskan 
temperature. Uh, their dogs were two golden retrievers, Feller and Tut. They just wanted to run the dog to give the dog some fresh air. And uh, Dorothea was in the truck. It's just too cold to be out there meandering around. And George was, you know, um, playing with the dogs, getting ready to gather them. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he saw this massive object, this kind of this creature. And then he realized that this was was a moose. And so he tried to get the, the dogs to come back in, but then he realized he needed to start making his way to the truck. And he realized that he there's just too much ground. Uh, he wasn't going to make it, and the, the moose was charging. And so uh, the moose caught up with George and began to stomp George into the snow. He was a, a bush pilot from Willow, Alaska, um, but he really had no chance. And so uh, Dorothea got out of the truck, and she ran around to the truck bed and grabbed a shovel and just started wailing on the moose, just over and over and over. And the moose just was just kind of stunned and stopped stomping at George and just kind of looked at Dorothea and then just turned and just started to trot off. And she gave him one good whack again. And then Tut, of course, the dog, brave that he is now, uh, right, chases the moose off. And so in the interview, um, she said this, you know, as George was not that, you know, he had seven broken ribs, six inch gash. She was unscathed. She was okay. But they were interviewed uh, by the Anchorage Daily News. And she said, well, it isn't the first time I've got him out of trouble. And I reckon it won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, since the beginning of time, uh, marriages have been under attack. And it's not by a moose. Um, but it's by the enemy. Uh, we have an enemy, a, you know, a real foe, a spiritual enemy. And that enemy hates uh, your marriage, if you're marriage, married. Um, if you're singles, uh, that, that enemy hates your friend's marriage or your parent's marriage. Uh, that enemy hates this church. And that enemy will do everything he can to divide your marriage and to divide, to divide this church. He'll use whatever means available to him. He'll use your anger. He will use your doubts and your fears and your passivity. Uh, whatever means he can to divide. And so we're going to consider two major back, uh, battlegrounds uh, this afternoon. One is the battlegrounds of our feelings and emotions. It's interesting that uh, that's brought up in this text. We'll circle back to that. And then uh, the battleground of our communication. But what I want you to uh, kind of um, think about as we kind of um, talk about this is that, you know, the battle really does belong to the Lord. Um, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, in a marriage relationship, it seems like sometimes that your, your spouse is your greatest in enemy and hindrance. Um, one thing that I really enjoy about pastoral counseling, biblical counseling, is that every now and then I get to, to pause the session and say, I want you to look at each other, and I want you to, to just be reminded that she is not your enemy. He is not your enemy. But there is an enemy that would love to destroy this relationship. So our enemy is not flesh and blood. Uh, we are not to fight this battle in our own strength. In fact, I want you to take this away. It is God who declares the fight, and he takes the fight to the enemy, to, to Satan 
and to evil. And we, his people, are to fight in his own strength. So first thing we're going to look at uh, this, this afternoon is the battleground of feelings. Battleground of feelings. And you notice that um, after they ate the fruit, after they pushed God away, they rebelled against God, uh, they went and hid. They came out with these ridiculous uh, fig leaves. And Adam realizes, you know, that, um, you know, he's, he, you can't hide from God. And so his response, it's really interesting. If you look at verse 10, let's look at, look at verse 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There's no admission of guilt here, what he had done. But there is this expression of a feeling, of an emotion. I think it's really interesting. And so, um, you know, he knew he uh, broken God's law, his commandment. And so here he is, this new self-focused state that he's in, and he's more concerned about how he felt and the fact that he had transgressed God's law, that he offended God. He's more concerned, verse 10, about how he felt. Now, from that point forward, from verse 10 in your Bible forward, chapter 3, um, we see how you know, the effects that fall get in the mix of our emotions. This is really important. Now, for sure, our emotions are a, a precious gift from the Lord. Um, the emotions are, make sure I have my fill in the blanks for you guys, because I'm notorious for skipping over the fill in the blanks. Here we go. Very good. Um, you know, emotions are, you know, um, uh, a gift from the Lord that he's given us. The first blank here is emotions are one of the, the ways that we reflect God's image as we serve as his ambassadors. Um, part of being made in the image of God is that we can emote, we can express emotions. God is capable of a joy. We are capable of joy. God is capable of being angry at injustice. You are being, you are capable of being angry. Uh, there's sinful anger, but there's also um, anger that, uh, should be a constructive mercy, a spark plug going off in your life that says, uh, I perceive that this, whatever it is, is wrong. Now, that is a God-given gift to you uh, for you to check out what you think is the injustice or the sin against you or the wrong, whether it's against you or against somebody else. So we're, all, we're made in God's image, and we're given this beautiful capacity uh, to express emotions our emotions help us to connect with God. You know, as we sang songs just a few moments ago, as we sing tomorrow in the worship service, um, you know, emotions can enter in, should enter in the way uh, we sing. And, you know, there's something about music that just kind of transcends uh, just a normal conversation. And their emotions are a part of that. So emotions are a very important way that we connect with God. Emotions are a gift in the sense that they're very important for how we communicate and step into relationships with each other because uh, emotions are the kind of relational price tags of how, of, of how we place uh, importance and value on certain things. That's why we're here to, to laugh with those who are laughing and mourn with those who mourn. They help us place emotional play, uh, value or price tags on things. So... Um, 
how do we express our emotions? You know, are we, you know, our society just says, you know, you can um, just, you are your emotions. Um, you just say what you feel uh, all the time. You know, just don't worry about it. But one thing that um, that's, you know, very challenging is that we, we often get very tangled up and confused about our emotions. One of my favorite um, books on emotions was written by one of my professors at Westminster uh, Seminary, Winston Smith and Alistair Grove, who's now the, the president of um, the Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. It's called Untangling Emotions. And that book has just been profoundly helpful for me personally. It's been profoundly helpful, I think, uh, for some of the people that I help. But there's one chapter in there in particular, uh, chapter three. It's worth the price of the book. Um, but it's just, it really speaks volumes on how we have a hard time really untangling emotions. And that is this, emotions don't come in single file. Now, I think that sometimes we wish they would come in single file. They would line up in an orderly uh, fashion and we can just deal with them one by one. Um, but, you know, so, you know, for some people, that's kind of how they try to manage their emotions uh, kind of one at a time. Um, they're not very good at processing their emotions. And so they just kind of life is just easier if you just try to handle one emotion at a time. Uh, our culture kind of says, you know, you, you should have one dominant emotion and it should be happy. And if you're not happy, uh, then you're probably depressed. Uh, or, you know, the, outra- the uh, outrage culture says that uh, your dominant emotion should be uh, anger and outrage that gets you up in the morning, that gives you a sense of righteousness. And so um, find that one dominant emotion and just ride it. Uh, but we're much more complex than that, aren't we? And emotions, uh, we're capable of, of many different emotions at one time. And so, um, you know, think about this. Think of the complexity of uh, caring for aging parents, if you'll indulge me on that. Uh, you know, Lisa and I have it. We're at the uh, age and stage of life where we have um, parents that are in decline. And some of you are in that stage as well. And so just think about, so let's just kind of walk through um, a scenario where uh, your one of your parents, your mom, uh, she knows the Lord. Uh, she's a believer in Christ and um, she goes through a, a lengthy illness and then she passes away, you know, um, what emotions might you be feeling in that experience? Well, you would be, probably you might feel sadness. Uh, you might feel a sense of relief, but you might not share that with anybody because you're just wrung out weary of caring for your mom, going back and forth, juggling um, all the other relationships that you have. Um, you might feel some anger if uh, they suffered in some way and maybe one of their caregivers was not as attentive as you thought they should be or maybe just you were just angry because they went through this suffering. Um, you know, then of course there's this grief, loss. Um, now, which is the right emotion? You know, it's, you know, somebody's ventured to answer, 
You know, which is the right emotion? You know, a lot of times um, when we zero in on one of those in particular, you might just start feeling guilty. You know, uh, you might feel joy for the fact that your mom is in heaven. She's with the Lord. Um, but you might feel guilty because, no, wait, I should be feeling grief and loss. Um, maybe that feeling of relief, you've missed so many ball games with your, your grandchildren or your children, and you're feeling just this, sense, this weight. Um, but you, not, you dare not share that in the lobby of church because it just doesn't sound um, very godly to you in your head. And so, you know, the good thing about um, this this gift of emotions is this, uh, that mixed emotions are always the right response uh, for a mixed world. That mixed emotions are always the right response for the mixed world that we live in. Think about Jesus. Um, You know, Jesus uh, went to see uh, Lazarus and, you know, Lazarus' sisters said, you know, they were, hurry up and get here. Our, your friend is, you know, is sick, and he took his time. And it's just so amazing as you trace out that story that in John chapter 11, uh, all the things that J- Jesus went through during that, that in, just in that one chapter. Um, there was some anger at some Pharisees. Uh, there, was, um, uh, there was hope giving hope to his disciples. Uh, there was sadness and even anger at uh, the curse and death um, as he was approaching the grave. You know, Again, which was the right emotion? Jesus had multiple emotions, mixed emotions, uh, because he was walking in a mixed world. And so one of our tendencies to, you know, just in terms of you know, how we process our emotions is we, we tend to oversimplify in one or two directions. One is, um, you know, for folks that tend to have a hard time processing emotions, uh, maybe you've come from a background, family of origin, where maybe your parents didn't express emotions um, very well or very publicly. And so uh, maybe that's had a shaping influence on your life and so you just kind of oversimplify in one direction. You just kind of deal with one emotion at a time. And, it's, and how you deal with that is it's just expressed in doing. You know, you know just kind of you got to do something to, um, you know, just to, to deal with that emotion. On the other hand, there are people that oversimplify in the other directions. Like they, um, you know, they, um, they try to deal with all their emotions at one time. And in this chapter, there's a help, very helpful illustration um, that I think has helped a number of folks that I've worked with. If you imagine you're going into Home Depot, if you're doing some painting at home, and you, you know, go there and you're, you're trying to figure out which, which, not which color of brown, but which color of mocha, cappuccino, espresso, which shade of that. And yet, so you're having this, you know, your argument with your your wife or your friend. But how do they mix that paint? Well, they take a can of basic white and just go get one off the shelf. You have to decide satin or flat or whatever. And then, um, then they take the code of the chip that you find 
and they put it in. But what happens is there's all these little squirters. And, you know, the computer goes, you know, and just squirts all, you know, these colors and then they shake it up. And you know, it's kind of a kind of a, a really clever illustration of how we tend to emote or express our emotions. Some people are just kind of like one color. I'm angry. Red, 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 red. Or maybe, you know, um, I'm really sad or depressed or whatever, you know, blue, blue, blue. But other people, maybe your spouse, uh, maybe your close friends, they are what? You know, like just all of these, you know, like um, because we live in a fallen world, because we are products of the fall, uh, our squirters, if you will, your paint squirters um, are broken. And so guess who loves to jump in there in that brokenness? Satan. Satan loves to jump in. He's the author of confusion. And usually it also just goes without saying it. There's always a, a really nice argument either on the way home from the paint store or after you get the, the paint on on the wall, right? There's there's always a good argument, right? But here's the thing, if you know, if you if you tend to stuff your emotions, you know, ask God, you know, you know, a step of growth, what that might be. Uh, and I would say, you know, sometimes you'd be tempted to say for husbands, maybe, but I've seen it both ways. That sometimes it's sometimes it's the husband uh, that has more um, you know, tends to oversimplify and deal with all their emotions at once, and the the wife uh, tends to be like that one color in her paint bucket. But you know, if you uh, tend to uh, you know oversimplify in how you process your emotions, and that's see recognize your tendency to oversimplify how you process your emotions. Um, if you tend to stuff your emotions, ask God to help you not be afraid to identify your emotions, uh, to use them um, redemptively, uh, to kind of be able to identify um, just kind of different shades of emotions that you might be feeling uh, in the moment. And ask God to uh, open your heart to your spouse to help you to feel what they feel. You know, if your tendency is you just want to deal with emotions single file, um, ask the Lord to step into how they're feeling, to weep with them, uh, to, to rejoice with them. Uh, author Gary Racusi tells a story. He's a pastor, and he'd he written some, some good stuff on marriage. And he tells a story about when he, uh, he and his church were out in the community, they had like this evangelism night. Uh, where they divided the city in areas where they would all go out and share their faith and then come back and, you know, report on it and have a little celebration and so forth. Well, his wife was assigned to a group at the local mall. And so they were going around talking to people, and she just got kind of tangled up so with some really, really ugly, um, just not ugly physically, but just really difficult teenagers. And they kind of smelled fear in her, and so they kind of surrounded her and began taunting her, and just taunting her without mercy, and she just kind of fell apart. Uh, she was just having trouble holding it together, and it was just this terrible cycle where, um, they, you know, they, they just kind of fed off of her fear and shame, and so she came back, and it was just horrible, it was debilitating, and so he was trying to talk to her about it later, 
And he said, you know, things that he thought he was bringing comfort, like, well, you know what the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. So you're in store for lots of blessings. Or, you know, um, you know, there's students, um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, they, you know, they, they were trying to just, you know, build up a righteousness and impress one another and all that. Um, but still, he just couldn't really seem to help her get through the shame that she experienced. And so days and weeks and, and months had even passed, and she was still, it was really debilitating for her. One day he was sitting in his office, and he was just working on something, and this came to mind, and just the shame that she was going through, and he just set down his pen and just started sobbing for her. You know, I think that if you tend to oversimplify in the other direction, um, focusing intently on everything you feel, uh, here's the challenge for you, the application for you, is to keep in mind that you're just never going to exhaustively understand uh, all of the streams of emotions that are pouring into your bucket, that are pouring into your heart. And here's the really good news. You don't have to. You don't have to exhaustively understand all the emotions that are pouring into that paint bucket, but you can bring them to the one uh, who, who does understand them. You can entrust them to him. You can trust all the hidden corners of your heart that maybe you'll never understand. You can entrust them to him. So that's the battleground of emotions. I hope that you, you know, just ba- the basic point that um, emotions don't come in single file. Uh, that we, um, because of the effects of the fall, uh, that we tend to stuff our emotions or we tend to try to um, understand every single stream that's pointing in, pouring into our um, bucket and we, we can exhaust ourselves. The second battleground I want to tour today is the battleground of communication. Um, you know, God could have just kind of, in creating Eve, um, just think marriage for a moment. You know, he could have, you know, he created uh, Adam out of the dust of the ground. Remember this morning we talked about he scooped up uh, dust and he breathed life into Adam. Well, he could have created Eve the same way, but he chose not to. He chose Eve uh, from the rib of man. And so there's this kind of inherent need, this desire to kind of fit back into each other's lives. And one of the ways that we do that is through communication, growing together as we communicate together, kind of fitting back into each other's lives. Now, a couple of things about communication. Uh, communication is risky. Um, it means, you know, going from being emotionally naked uh, and just kind of um, revealing yourself. You know, sometimes when I'm doing premarital counseling, I'll talk about just different layers of different aspects of of communication, you know, there's the cliche, and then there's the uh, kind of sharing of opinions, and then there's sharing of feelings, and you know, each each gets riskier. Actually, there's there's actually a, there's one even more primitive form of communication that's more primitive than cliche, and I call it the caveman grunt that you hear at the gym. You know, when you go to the gym, how you doing? Oh, yeah. 
But each, you know, each level is getting a little bit more risky. You know, why is even just sharing opinions these days uh, becoming a little bit more risky in the, in the workplace uh, or where you do life? Because people are so opinionated now, they'll just kind of attack you if you share even a basic opinion. So we just kind of, you know, it's just easier for us to stay at the nice, cozy, easy level of information. You know, you see the political debates the other night, when you don't talk about them, you just, you know, you just acknowledge that they happened, right? We just kind of stay there. Well, you can't do that in a marriage. In a marriage, you know, you, go, you need to go from, from in front. I hope you're not at the cliche stage. How you doing? How you doing? Right? But you need to move past this, this sharing of basic information. How was your day? My day was like this. Uh, to sharing uh, opinions and feelings, and then just sharing vulnerable parts of ourselves. And so ever since the fall, you know, we have this, you know, we've perfected the art of hiding, haven't we? We, we hide everything from pimples and blemishes uh, to, um, to our past. You know, I've counseled people that, you know, it's just kind of astounding. You'd think that at their given their level of spiritual level of maturity at the church, um, it's kind of astounding how much they don't know of each other uh, when you're doing marriage counseling. Uh, it's almost sad. Uh, sometimes I share a clip. We won't do it today, but uh, I, I, I happened to, um, you know, during COVID and uh, times when we, we were working at home more, and Lisa and I were out on our back porch having lunch, nice day, uh, we have a nice screen and porch, and we had the news on, um, you know, when we went out there, but when we came back, there was a soap opera on, and so I was kind of paused, and do you remember which one it was? I can't remember which one it was, and it was just um, just kind of silly, but there's a husband and wife, and they were talking to this lawyer that were equal friends of theirs, and the wife was like saying, well, you know, I this isn't working we need a legal separation and a divorce, and I want you to represent me. And the husband just turned to her and said, well, he can't do that. And she goes, well, why can't he do that? He's my friend too, and he's a good lawyer. And he says, because he's my lawyer. You see, he said, when, you know, when was, this is the actual show. You know, like, when was he your lawyer? He goes, when I was on death row. You know, boom. Like, how could you not know that? And I feel like sometimes, you know, when I'm doing marriage counseling, um, that's never come out. But I'm thinking to myself, how could you not know that? Right? Because we're so adept at hiding. And so here's some of the ways, um, just kind of in the, the battleground of communication, of course, A, every, ever since the fall, we've perfected the art of hiding. And then B, Ways that Satan tries to exploit our communication. I'm just giving you three. There's lots. Um, but one is, you know, just in terms of whether it's marriage relationship or even friendships. Uh, sometimes we're just guilty of putting each other in, in a double bind. A double bind. Now, we don't think of this as high-handed, high-level, sinful communication. But it's just subtle ways in which um, we get reduced to hiding in our communication. So what is a double bind? A double bind is just putting someone in a lose-lose situation. Uh, you want somebody's feedback, you want their agreement, uh, but you're really not open to disagreement. So you're putting that person in a double bind. 
Or maybe you felt like that you've been in a double bind before because your spouse wants positive feedback. They want on, they want honest feedback, but what really they want is they want you to validate their position, their um, their opinion, or what what they're seeking. Remember that commercial? I forget which which vendor it was for, but was, I love this commercial. I have this strange. I love commercials. Lisa doesn't understand me. But uh, there's this one commercial where the the husband went shopping with the wife. Remember this one? And she's trying on dresses, and, she, and there's one she just squeezes in. I mean, like, the, the rolls of, are just kind of bulging out, and you just think that the, the zipper is just going to snap. And she's, she looks at the husband, and she says, what do you think? How does this look? And you, the, the camera pans to him, and he's, he's got beads of sweat, <laughs> you know, just dripping off of him. It's a double bind. Um, it's a lose-lose. Um, another form of communication when a landmine is just mind reading. You know, we know, we, we know ourselves pretty well, or at least we think we know ourselves pretty well. Sometimes I don't think we know ourselves as well as um, we should. And so we just assume that our spouses know what we're thinking or feeling at any given moment, uh, point in time. Um, doesn't, doesn't he know that I'm just too tired for romance tonight? Uh, can she tell I just need some alone time. I mean, really, you know, question, you know, why is, why is it that God gave us uh, the, the ability to communicate and to talk? Because we're not omniscient, right? Um, we're not God. And so, so many conflicts can be avoided simply by just upfront talk seasoned with grace and humility. And that's kind of like the guardrails or the guidelines, I think, for, for really good communications. Ephesians 4.29, only talk that builds up, that fits the occasion. I mean, that's really a good when the, when the emotions are running high, when you're feeling that spark plug of anger going off. Um, you know, just to ask yourself, is what I'm about to say, uh, is it going to build up? Is it going to seek more information? Is it going to seek uh, to maybe kind of diffuse the situation? Uh, or is it just, I mean, we're getting ready to to to, uh, to tear down. There's that simple little verse. Um, only talk that builds up, that fits the occasion. Ephesians 4, uh, 29. And so, um, you, know, you know, just kind of interject this, that, uh, you know, um, you know, it's just kind of hard to help each other as husbands and wives if we don't communicate. You know, God made Eve as you know, a helpmate, a helper. And that's not a demeaning term. This is the same word helper, uh, helpmate, as uh, God refers to himself in the Psalms. But here's the thing, husbands, you know, if you uh, really don't share uh, what you're struggling with, uh, if you don't share your life, uh, you're not sharing areas of vulnerability, how is she going to help you? How is she going to pray for you? How is she going to encourage you? Um, or if a wife doesn't uh, open up, then how is you know, a husband uh, going to serve his wife as Christ served the church? Another landmine um, issue here is exaggerations. You've heard this before. You always, you never, um, you know, just those universals, those exaggerations. Um, this, think about this. Imagine yourself, you're in a spirit of disagreement, and the Holy Spirit just really conv convicts you of your wrongness 
end uh, this agreement, and you're going to move toward your spouse in humility, or that's your intention, and uh, you're going to ask, you're going to admit you're wrong, you're part of the wrong, and you're going to ask for forgiveness. And so, you're really, the Holy Spirit is moving you towards. Uh, but then it's because um, we can say Jeff and TJ can say just uh, it's kind of easy for you to hear them say and just. Forget the universals, you know, just don't use the universals, you know, you always, you never. Uh, and then we go trotting out their office and then we kind of forget. But just think about real life. You're moving toward your spouse. You're going to confess your wrongdoing. You're going to admit. And in that confession, she or he says, they're just kind of at a very different place at digesting the conflict where you are. And they say, yeah, because you always, or you never. And what's the temptation of that moment? The temptation of that moment is to, instead of stepping toward, it is stepping back to defend yourself, to pull out your record, to prove out, just to prove wrong. Here is at least one example that obliterates your always, right? Um, Satan loves that moment. Absolutely loves that moment to derail your movement towards reconciliation, to spin things back up. So how about this? Uh, you're, in the, you're in the middle of confessing. Your spouse says, yeah, because you always, and you respond differently this time. You say, you know, I do know I sometimes disappoint you in that area, uh, but what I would like to say is I am truly sorry, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And what you're doing in that moment is you are resisting the devil. You are resisting the devil for your marriage. That takes humility. Last point here is the battle belongs to the Lord, point three. So God's solution to the problem is, you know, wrapped up in a single verse, verse 15. Let me read it. This is God speaking. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent, speaking to Satan. And between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head. That's a fatal blow, right? And you shall bruise his heel. And so that little verse right there gives hope to the entire world. Let's see that God here in verse 15, he's declaring war on Satan. Because he sends his son Jesus into the world who will crush the serpent's head. And Jesus is the serpent crusher. He's the serpent destroyer. I love what Justin Buzzard said. He said, Adam failed in the garden, but Jesus prevailed in a garden. Adam failed to guard the garden and his wife. Jesus sweat drops of blood, and on a hill he shed his blood, and he laid down his life for his bride. See, the battle truly does belong to the Lord. In Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat was up against two fierce nations. I mean... He was in a very tough spot. He was powerless. And he stood before the assembly of God's people of Judah and Jerusalem. 
and in the house of the Lord. And he said this, O Lord of lords, God of our fathers, are you not the God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And then God sent him out, sent them out as a praise band, right? What does that say? The battle really does belong to the world. Our weapons are not of the world. And that's the point A. Our weapons are not of this world. But God gives us the weapons of grace and forgiveness, of humility, of prayer, to fight for your marriage in the strength of the Lord. Also here, you know, second thing I want you to think about this is that conflict reveals, it reveals, uh, it reveals much about us, it reveals much about our spouse. You know, one thing that I often do early on in marriage counseling is just having married uh, the couples uh, just kind of lift, list uh, their wife's strengths, uh, but also their weaknesses. And when we compare the lists, but it's, sometimes it's just so refreshing for couples that are just losing hope uh, to have the other couple just kind of read through, read out loud, turn to the other spouse that you feel like you're clashing and warring with and just kind of list out and describe the other person's strengths. How has God gifted this woman? How has God gifted this man? And, and so, you know, what conflict reveals, you know, about your spouse is, uh, it reveals oftentimes their strengths. You know, for Lisa, you know, she has many different strengths. Her her strengths are, are sensitivity. Um, her She is just very patient and wise. And uh, one of my strengths is, you know, I am really committed to uh, integrity and justice. But one of my corresponding weaknesses with that can be sometimes I can be impatient and I can be blunt and bottom line. And so I think sometimes Lisa's, um, you know, her sensitivity, her, her uh, charity and gentleness with people, sometimes I might tempt her to avoid confrontation. Um, but opportunity, uh, but conflict is an opportunity to reveal, it reveals actually the strengths of your spouse, not just your weakness, their weaknesses. Sometimes we just, just automatically conclude when we're in a fight, we're in a conflict, we're in a battle, their spouse, all it's doing is revealing weakness. You know, what is, what's being revealed in terms of their strengths? Also, you know, what is being revealed in terms of, you know, your own idolatry? You know, you know how can, ask, how can this conflict uh, be an op- not be an opportunity for Satan, but for us an opportunity for us to grow together and to change and to serve. I'm going to uh, end with this. Uh, Brian Chapel, he's our stated clerk of our assembly, shared this many years ago. It was just so poignant, so applic- applicable to um, to this talk on communication. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I at least I read uh, the biography of Adoniram uh, Judson and his wife Nancy. Um, missionaries to India. They were British. And Nancy would have no idea how God uh, would use her to literally reach millions of people in that area of the world. Didn't seem like it at the time, the hardships that they were enduring. Um, But when tensions really began to grow between India and, and Britain, of course, 
India then. Uh, the missionaries were often rounded up in prison. So Adoniram was rounded up, and he was put in this prison that was so overcrowded that they literally uh, they, they hung them. They had to stand up uh, oftentimes. Sometimes they uh, hung them by their thumbs, sometimes at night. Um, they lined up all the prisoners, and they put their ankles on a, on a great beam that would be about the length of this room, and they had hoisted up so you'd have to sleep at the cradle of your neck, just your neck touching the ground. And so uh, his wife would just, but uh, back then you could take food to your husband, and she would take food, and she would just take words of encouragement. She would just go down the steps of the squalor and the jeers of the other prisoners and just experiencing so much indignity. And she would refresh his soul with these words, do not give up Adoniram, but God will give us the victory. And so when hope is just dying in other people, uh, this was, these were just life-giving words to Adoniram. And so one day the visit stopped, and he was very sad that she wasn't coming to see him. And eventually he obtained his freedom and made a beeline toward his house and there he met. He was met with a little boy that he didn't recognize. Um, he was so filthy, emaciated. He didn't recognize his own son. And then he made he makes his way into the house, and there was Nancy on her sick bed, so emaciated and sick that he didn't recognize her. And on his sick on her sick bed, she turns to him and whispers, "Do not give up." Adoniram, for it is God who will give us the victory, right? And those words fueled him with divine purpose. So you know, the victory is assured because of the cross, because of the empty tomb. Because the tomb is empty, there is hope. Uh, sometimes it's just easy to think that, um, that your spouse is the enemy. She is not, he is not. Don't give up. Because of victory, it's the Lord's. Let's pray, and we'll talk about it. Father, I pray that you would uh, forgive us uh, for not taking Satan more seriously. Father, we just pray that you would remind us uh, with this passage, uh, thank you, Lord, for verse 15, that the battle really is yours. It belongs to you, that you declared war on Satan, and you're taking the fight to him. And Father, we thank you, Jesus, uh, for Jesus. We thank you, uh, for his shed blood on the cross. Uh, the Satan is, um, well, one day just be completely eradicated. Uh, Jesus, you are mighty to save, and we pray that you would strengthen us for the fight. Please remind us every day that our spouse is not the enemy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.